Thanks for listening to the Seeds Church Podcast. If you're in Middle Tennessee, we'd love to have you join us in person for one of our services. Check out SeedsChurchTN.com for times and locations. Good morning, Seeds Church. Uh, to those of you joining us on our Facebook live feed, thank you for, for tuning in. Um, I just want to give honor to uh, the shepherds of this house, J.D. and Jamie Willie. Um, I thank God for them, for the example that they are. Um, and that's because we were praying for people to walk alongside that were not afraid to be transparent, that were willing to allow you to see the good, the bad, and the ugly, and to still stand at the center of Jesus and point their lives uh, as an example of, of, a, of a married couple, of a couple raising kids for Atlanta and I from our time at World Outreach. So I want to thank you guys. I appreciate that. Um, so I was thinking about the message when JD reached out and I was trying to come up with some of those Russell dad jokes uh, or, or those polished JD zingers. And uh, I was bouncing back and forth, and I thought about my mom and my grandma, and I just reverted back to that time when they said the, the only position that's not filled is who God uniquely made you. So I'm just gonna be myself, and I'm gonna have a seat, and I'm gonna make this very conversational, guys. Doesn't mean I'm lax in my belief or my calling. I'm very much anchored and on fire for God, so. I feel like I'm amongst family, so I just want to have a conversation with you guys and share what God has been putting on my heart, just the way that I can share it and not be anybody else. Um, so I know most of you guys know that uh, I stepped into the role of youth pastor, and I tell the youth kids that, hey, I didn't grow up in church, but when I was 24 and I gave my heart and my life to God, I stepped into the denomination of um, uh, Church of God in Christ, very Pentecostal, and for those of you guys that don't know, they're a church that goes to church at 9 o'clock on Sunday morning, and they probably get out 3, 3 p.m. on Thursday. So, so, so it's, uh, it's, they really do church. <laughs> uh, and uh, my wife and I, we kind of bounced around, and we we moved to Michigan and did a lot of different things, but what I want to do is I had something that was on my heart, and if you guys would allow me to, sometimes we have to get over our opinion of a person to get to know the person. Because we have this idea of who a person is, and we make a story about, I believe that's who they are. And it won't allow us to get past that opinion that we have of them to lean into a relationship to understand who, who they really and truly are. So if you guys would, Picture in your mind uh, a sunny afternoon, a group of young kids, school just let out. They're doing what kids do. They're laughing and playing and, and wrestling and uh, walking home from school. So it's about 16, 17 kids, some of which just went to school. Some of them didn't go to school at all. Uh, they were indulging in activities that they shouldn't have been possibly breaking in houses and stealing cars. And I want you to imagine they, 
look very much like what we're seeing on TV. They're causing ruckus, walking down the middle of the street, but they have no cause that they believe in. They're not fighting for anything. They're just surviving. Some of them form single-parent homes. Some of them have two-parent homes, but they're not actively involved. And can you imagine that neighborhood being in the north section of Memphis? And can you imagine one of those kids being 16 years old, kind of slim, dirt all in his hair, drinking a jungle juice and Fritos, as I always drink, one of those kids being me. And uh, so riding, not riding, but walking in the middle of, of that environment, and we are left to our own vices. We can do whatever we want to do. And at 16, I can tell you a moment that God intervened and he didn't allow me to make a permanent decision in a temporary place. So as all of this is going on, there's a van that pulls up in the middle of these 16, 17 year old kids and they jump out and they're yelling and screaming, they have bats. And they say, you kids are gonna stop stealing cars and bringing the police to this area. And the, the, the weird dynamic of this story is that these guys are drug dealers and they're trying to discipline kids while putting poison in our neighborhoods. So that's weird to begin with. And so they're talking to these kids and they're trying to somehow bring order in a disorder, uh, disorder chaotic situation. So they're talking to these kids about not stealing cars and not breaking in homes because the attention of the police is over this area so they can't sell their drugs. So <laughs> it makes sense to them, right? So I'm this skinny kid in the back and I'm not saying anything and just something inside of me uh, out of all of the people that's around, I say something, who are you talking to? You're not talking to me. You couldn't possibly be talking to me. My dad left a long time ago. I see they have bats. I know they possibly have guns in the car. I know they're drug dealers. I know what they stand for. But something in me won't let me be talked to like that because my dad forfeited that right and you, sir, don't have that right to talk to me like that. So as I'm talking, I see all of my friends scatter and said, we're not gonna fight this battle. You're, <laughs> you're on your own. <laughs> so I'm standing in the middle and now I'm surrounded by all three of them. And uh, they're like, what are you saying? And I'm like, you're not talking to me. My dad said, I won't stop talking. I know I'm in danger. I know this is a serious situation, but I won't shut my mouth. And then I point my finger in the guy who's holding the bat's face. And uh, so now my friends are really covering their eyes like it's over with for this kid. So um, they understand that I have relatives. They know who my relatives are. So they're kind of calculating the decision, should we do this to this kid, there's gonna be repercussions. So they let me go. And um, they walk away, they get back in the van. Now all of my friends are looking at me like I'm a hero. Oh yeah, you, I'm like, get out of my face. Y'all want me to go to the hospital. <laughs> like, we're not friends. So I'm walking to the house and in that moment, guys, at 16 years old, I calculated a decision that those guys were going to be murdered by me because I'm not going to come from a broken home. We're not going to be in poverty, and I'm going to be disrespected and talked to this way. I'm going to get my respect. It's foolish, because I'm making a decision to gain respect by murdering somebody who looks like me. And I know we want to talk about racism in this political climate and, and all of these, these media push narratives, but you have to understand 
that people are in situations, they have to suppress their humanity to survive their environments. And had I made that decision in this place, I wouldn't be Pastor Tim. I wouldn't be a generational changer by being in my kid's life. I wouldn't be married to the love of my life. I wouldn't be sitting here pouring into your kids. I could have made a decision and very well been another number or statistic. But the moral of that story that God allowed me to walk that situation out, as I'm going home, I'm fueling inside. I just need to get to the house. I just need to get to the house where my mom has my granddad gun. I need to get my hand on a gun. So we stay outside of the house. Me and all these kids are talking about what they're going to do next time and how they're going to help me and have my back. So my mom pulls up in the driveway from work. My cousin speeds in behind her who just gave his life and heart to God. And he said, I've been looking for you all day. God told me to leave my wife from we were about to eat dinner and find you. You were going to make a decision that was going to affect his plan and purpose for your life. So he pulls up at the same time my mom pulls up. He says, get in the car. He said, not only does does, does, like, you're about to do something. I don't know what it is. Like, I left my wife. She prepared a dinner. All of this stuff. So we ride around, and he says, do you believe in God? I said, there's no God. Why was my, my cousin born addicted to crack? Why is all this about, I blame God, a God that I didn't believe in, but I blamed her for everything. That makes sense. There's no God, but you're responsible for all this. Okay, that's smart. <laughs> so we ride around. And he said, not only does God have a plan, not, not only does God exist, he has a plan for your life. So as we're talking, he said, do you want a relationship with this God? He just wants your life. I said, why would God want this life? It's not worth nothing. It's not of any value. Why would he want this life? Sure, he can have it. So he turns to Romans. I believe and I confess. He told me to close my eyes. I believe and I confess and I look up. Sky didn't crack. Nothing happened, no thunder, no lightning. I guess I'm not saved. So I get out of the car, go to school the next day. I decide I want to have gym the next five periods. So I'm back to normal, skipping class again, doing the same thing because nothing changed in my life. So there's a coach standing at the door the last period that I skipped class, and he's watching me. And as he's watching me, the bell rings, and we're about to go to class. Mind you, this is my fifth school I've been kicked out of. So if I'm done at this school, I'm kicked out of all Memphis City schools. I can't go to any Memphis City schools. This is my last chance. So this guy calls me and said, hey, son, what do you guys think I did? I took off running. I'm like, I'm not blowing this chance. I'm not, my mom's not going down to the Board of Education again. I'm, I'm not getting another spanking. So I take off running, and the guy's chasing me. He said, stop. He said, stop. Why are you running from me? I said, sir. So I begin to explain my story to him and tell him that, hey, this is my last chance. I don't have another chance. If you take me to the office, I'm done. My mom may put me out. I may get another spanking or, or whatever. And so he tells me to go to his office. He said, you need to be playing basketball for somebody's team. If not mine, you have a gift. God is going to use that gift to do something. I was like, well, I'm a great behind. I can't do anything with this particular gift. Uh, because I don't qualify to play basketball. So he said, I'm going to take you home. So he told me that he was going to get me a tutor. He was going to take me to church on Wednesday and Sundays. That meant nothing to me. But when he went home and told a lady named Carol Cole he was going to do that, she jumped up in the room, started shouting hallelujah, because that's what she'd been praying for. <laughs> it meant something to her. <laughs> it was an answer prayer that somebody would invest in her son. So 
So guys, when I tell you that that opportunity of going back to normal, something changed in my heart. I was on a different track. I was in a different place. And those guys who were with me, they could have made those same decisions. They had those same opportunities. But because I chose to accept something in my life, to be the head, the lead, the guide of my life, I was on a different path. It didn't look like it in that moment, but my course had changed. That same kid who was ready to commit murder, who was ready to see that through and spend life in prison, had just made another decision to lay down his life. To say, nevertheless of my environment, I'm going to choose something bigger than myself and see where this goes. So I played basketball for a year and a half at Northside High School. And I go on to have this whirlwind um, high school basketball career in a year and a half to where I go to Las Vegas and play against the likes of Kobe Bryant and all of these. And I'm the leading scorer in the camp, so now I'm getting all these scholarship offers. The kid who was previously a year before a grade behind, now I'm being recruited by, you name any D1 school in the country, they're sending me letters. I'm on the same coach with one of the greatest, God rest his soul, Kobe Bryant, ever, and we're playing on the same basketball court. I scored 38 points in a row, ended up with 47 points. And it's like, who is this kid? But that was my shot. So I didn't want to blow my shot. I didn't want to go back to poverty. I didn't want to go back to those situations. So now I'm being recruited, but I'm not going to qualify. My grades are in disarray. So I go to community college. I'm in magazines from that point on, go on and become the number one junior college player, yada, yada, yada. So now I'm recruited by the University of Kentucky. I enter my name in the draft. I don't go to the draft. So, so now basketball was my way out. That was my opportunity. So God, so God blessed me with this gift of basketball. I have to go back, guys, because in my notes I left one part out. When I was sitting in that car and my cousin said, if you gave God your life and he got you to the NBA, would you serve him? Would you give him, his, would you give him your life to be a vessel? Oh yeah, when my life was nothing, that was easy. <laughs> so that was easy decision to make. So now fast forward four years, I have NBA teams calling. I'm about to be a millionaire. So I have an agent, I'm, I'm living, so I didn't go to college, so I entered my name in the draft. So now I'm living in Orlando. I'm staying on a lake. I have a brand new Tahoe, a Jaguar. I'm staying beside all these famous people. So it's a little bit harder to, to kind of think about that now. My life is just beginning. It's starting to become fun. I'm years beyond that kid in that pack who would be called wild and crazy and somebody to be afraid of. Now, I'm somebody to be looked up to. But it was not anything that I did. I didn't give myself the gift. I didn't tell myself that my cousin was gonna show up the same time my mom showed up and not go get that gun and get saved. I didn't, I didn't do any of this. So now, here's when it all comes to a head, guys, is I'm in Orlando, and I'm about to sign. And so the church that I told you I grew up in, so I'm going through all of this, and I called my pastor. And I said, Pastor, uh, I think it's about to come to fruition. I'm about to change my family's life. I'm, I'm about to sign with the Orlando Magic. Uh, it, it's finally here, and he's listening on the phone, and just... He didn't give me any encouragement. He just said, so what do a prophet a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? I'll talk to you later, goodbye. I'm like, oh, <laughs> oh, wait, wait a minute, Jeff. <laughs> I said, come back, come back. Like I held the phone. I'm like, what do I do with that? 
I'm 24 years old. That's heavy. Like, I wanted him to say, thank God, praise the Lord. So in that moment, like, he dropped the, he dropped the mic literally. Like, I'm like, what do I do with this? So we're supposed to have meetings uh, with the GM, and I'm supposed to sign. And I go to the gym. This is where I knew the creator of heaven was real. You couldn't tell me about him. You couldn't, you couldn't say that, that you thought I knew for a fact. We were sitting in the gym. We were sitting in, in this gym, and they were playing basketball on the court. And the ball came directly between me and my cousin, who is now acting as my agent, the one who got me saved. So now. <laughs> so we're, he's sitting on this side. I'm sitting on this side. And the chair is a stroller. And the ball is coming directly between us. Now, by NBA standards, I don't have huge hands. I could cuff the ball. I could never pump it. And so I reach up and grab the basketball and throw it back, not thinking anything of it. And everybody's on the floor like you guys are looking this direction, mouth or wide open. And I'm like, what are they? So I look at my cousin, and the ball was headed directly towards a premature baby who mom was walking around um, the court, the track. And had that ball at that speed hit a baby who was this big, brain damage probably would have been deaf. So without thinking about it, the mom picks the baby up and said, he owe you his life. That promise that I made to God at 16 was in that moment revealed to me then. I don't think you guys understand what I'm saying, that a person who wrote themselves off, that society wrote themselves off, that the creator of the universe could see value in it. So as I'm walking through life looking for validation and approval, he said, you're already proved, my son. You're already worthy to be used for my purpose in the earth. And that lady handed me that baby, so I'm holding this little baby, and he could have been this big, and I handed back, and I knew at that moment what it meant. So I went back to my apartment, and I'm flipping through the Bible, and I'm reading Jonah. I don't know how I got to Jonah. But Jonah says, I will repay the vow I made unto the Lord. That was me in that particular moment saying, God, when I didn't have a life worthy of anything, it was easy for me to say that this life is yours. But what about when it's of value? What about when it's worth something? So guys, at that moment, it took me a year. I made a conscious decision to walk away from basketball. And I knew what that meant for me. I knew it was my lottery ticket. If I didn't go to the NBA right away, I could have went overseas. I could have played basketball for the next 20 years. I could have never had to worry about finances my whole life. But I was saying, God, that your will and your purpose is more better because this thing that you gave me will have me. And now I have to tell my sons that, yes, you can be NBA basketball players. God don't mind you having that. He don't want it to have you. That could have produced bitterness in me. I didn't do it. You're not going to do it. That could have been a rigid temperament to say, hey, this is going to kill you. This is going to do those things. And I could have tried to control that gift. But because it didn't happen in my life, maybe I had to go through that sacrifice so they can be whatever God wants them to be. So in that moment, I said, God, it's yours. I don't want it wherever you want me to go. And I'm walking in that same gym the very next day in this custodian lady. She says, hey, uh, come here. Or she said, hey, boy, hey, boy, come here. 
I said, talking to me? Um, my name is Timothy. I'm not boy. Uh, so so she, she called me, hey, boy. And I said, yes, ma'am. And so she's talking. She was like, you're not from around here. And she just walks off. So the very next day, she said, hey, boy, you again. Come here. I said, ma'am, my name is Timothy. Uh, how can I help you? And she was like, I just want to say hi to you. And then she walked off. Three days in a row, this lady says, I said, if this lady calls me boy again, <laughs> it took, she said, hey, boy, tie my shoe up. I said, so now I'm infuriated. Like, I drove up in my Jaguar. I got more money in the bank than you, lady. So I'm going through all these different things. She said, hey, boy, tie my shoe up. So I bend down without hesitation and tie this lady's shoe up. And I get up, and she said, you a Christian, ain't you? I'm like, why would you say that? She was like, it's $2,000 a month to be a member of here. These people don't look at me. They don't talk to me. I called you, boy, you tied my shoe up. She's like, the living God lives inside of you because you pay attention to the people nobody else pay attention. I'm 25 years old. I don't know I'm ministering. I'm just trying to make it out of the ghetto. That's it. I'm just trying to survive. <laughs> I don't know what ministry looks like. But when you take up your cross and you deny yourself daily and you follow him, God can use you. Guys, let me, let me get off. That's, let me get back to the message. Um, <laughs> that was just a side note. So in that place, this lady calls me boy. She tells me I'm a Christian. And she said, the best work in this earth to be a Christian when you don't have to tell people you're a Christian. And I took that message in my heart. And it's something that I tell you guys today that's a reminder that we are not to stand in the position and say, hey, I'm a Christian. We are to be Christ-like. We are to love the widows. We are to take care of those. The, Jesus said the poor will have with us always. So there's, there's work that we're going to have to do. Uh, computer, turn it back on. So that's that whole situation of leaving Orlando and trying to figure out exactly what God meant about how am I going to honor him with my life? How am I going to, to live a life that's pleasing to him now that I only identified as a basketball player? I thought my gift was to entertain people. So that makes this place that I'm sitting in right now a point of contention between me and God. I negotiated and I talked back and forth just for me to sit here because I could play basketball in front of a room full of hundreds and even thousands. But getting here and speaking to God's people. I understood the magnitude of that. I didn't take that lightly. That's not something that I ran to. And I told JD when I first met him, I was that person always running from the pulpit. Every time somebody pulled me aside and said, hey, you're called. I'm like, maybe he got the wrong number. He's not calling me. <laughs> maybe he called somebody else. <laughs> I'm not qualified to be called. So every time I would hear that, and um, Pastor Jim Wyman at the church, said that when you tell me that you don't want to be a pastor, when you tell me that, he was like, I want you to serve because I have people running to this pulpit for all different motives and all different agendas and I don't know why they're coming up here. You want God to be sure about why he's placing you in this position. And that meant something to me because it showed that I was, I didn't want to let down God. I've been let down by people in my life. Most of my scars come from people who look like me, who look like you. So I was wounded by that. 
So to think that I could be in a situation to be opened up, now I'm in the church to be wounded again. So how do we get to the place to where I end up at Seed's Church? How do I end up accepting a calling for my life? I'm leaving uh, Orlando without knowing, am I going to play basketball? And is this going to be the direction of my life? So I go back to that church that I, that I was in, my church family, that pastor. And he simply says, what decision did you make? Did you choose God or the trappings and the lust of this world? And I said, Pastor, I want to be everything God wants me to be. And he claps his hand with a big smile on his face. And he said, now you're about to go through it. I'm like, wait a minute, you got to stop dropping these bombs. Like, you got to tell me, explain. <laughs> like, what, what am I going through? Like, what's about to happen in my life? And he said, you're going to go from knowing about God to knowing God. And I went through a season of my life to where I got rid of everything that I had. And when I tell you, this was the most difficult season of my life to walk into my youth pastor at the time office. And I had $40,000 to my name. I had the key to my Tahoe. And I said, I don't think God wants me to have anything the world gave you. And I laid it on his desk. And I don't think this was really godly, but what he did from that point was hovered over and like, are you sure? Like, I'm like, it's yours. Like, I gave him $40,000 cash, the keys to my car, and he was like this, are you really, really sure about this? Do you want this back? I'm like, no. That's everything I got from the world. It didn't bring me any happiness. It didn't bring me any peace. It didn't fulfill that place that was assigned for God. And so I started walking from that place, moved to Lawrenceburg, Tennessee, and I met my wife. I got a prayer life. I got a church home that was, oh my God, that was just nurturing and loving, similar to seeds. Like we, we loved one another. We walked around in, in, in the reality of life together, and we were not afraid to deal with real situations. And so guys, I'm going to cut this story short because it, it's, it's getting into the lesson part of it. But I wanted to share you guys that story to see how I got to this place. And to go to the place of, of Christ, to where he had to walk out some situations before he went to his ultimate purpose, the cross. And I titled this purpose, Nevertheless, because nevertheless of my beginning, nevertheless of the circumstance of coming from uh, a single parent home where my dad chose to live, to leave, coming from Memphis, which was impoverished because of factories leaving and crime. And nevertheless, a rose grew from concrete in that place, guys. Something special came out of that place. And it was not just me. And so I choose to look at Luke's gospel. Um, and in Luke, Luke's gospel, uh, the scripture uh, that I'm going to use is 39 through 42. Uh, but before I get to that, uh, don't put it on the screen yet. Uh, before I get to that, we're going to start in John. So John is, is choosing uh, to kind of look at the accounts uh, of Jesus and, and give you his perspective of what he witnessed, what he saw. And the actions, the, the word nevertheless, by definition is an adverb. 
but I use it in my, my sermon like as a verb because Jesus moved in an action, nevertheless of being threatened uh, to, be, to be taken in. They, they sought to, to capture him. Jesus moved in the midst of those day of the Jewish people who sought to take his life, and he still moved in boldness. He still moved in truth. So when we look at, um, sorry guys, um, the event, it starts out by talking about uh, how Jesus healed and how Jesus feeding the 5,000 in John chapter 6, 7 through 11. John 6, 15, Jesus knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, he withdrew again by the mountain by itself. And then after that, the later scripture says, Jesus walks on water in John 20. Then he goes on to, in the midst of all of this high turmoil, all of this, like, is he king? All these good things being said about Jesus. Jesus states, he is the bread of life in John 6.35. And in 6.40, for Jesus said, for my father, father's will is for everyone who looks to his son believes that he shall have eternal life and I will raise them up in the last day 41 states at this time the Jews there began to grumble about him because he said I am the bread and came down from heaven so now they're grumbling now they're moving now my family is saying and I'm not correlating myself to Jesus in, in, in no way shape form or fashion as I'm making a decision to turn in my lottery ticket, as I'm making a decision to walk away from the one thing that could financially change our family for life, my family is saying, they're grumbling. This church is brainwashing you. You shouldn't go there. You should give us this money. You should, you should help us with our light bill. You should do all these different things. There's so many things that you could do with the resources that come from a professional basketball career. And so in the midst of that, I saw the, the boldness that Jesus had to as he's talking about people who can conspire to very well take his life. He's talking about the will of the Father, that up and down relationship. And Jesus, nevertheless, in spite of, goes on to continue to teach. 643, Jesus said, stop grumbling. He not only hears their intentions, and knows what they're saying in the midst of their circles. He said, stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And so I, I see that situation that he very well could have not said anything in the midst of those moments. But that was boldness. That was one of the things that as I began to read the word in the place where I'm knowing about God, I didn't see Jesus as this lowly figure who walked around and who said, peace, brothers. And I saw Jesus as, if they say in my neighborhood, I saw Jesus as a gangster. I saw Jesus as tough. I saw Jesus as bold. I saw Jesus as, as someone who fought for people who did not have anybody to fight for. And so nevertheless, in spite of this, he could have, according to our times, and I was trying to make my attempt at a joke, a JD joke. I said, Jesus could have went home and made a Facebook post. He could have made a TikTok. He could have got on the gram for a couple of hours or chilled out at the house and then checked his feed to see what was shaking out. <laughs> but he didn't. <laughs> no, Jesus goes, goes on to the festival of the tabernacle. 
Verse 7. Read this, guys, with me. Verse 7, verse 1 in John 7. He used wisdom. He didn't go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders were there looking for a way to kill him. And, and so they were saying that they were conspiring to, to, to kill Jesus, in which he knew. And there was division over Jesus. Some were saying he's a good man. Some were saying he was divisive to the people. Some were saying he was king. Nevertheless, then Jesus still in the temple courts. He's still in the temple courts. Like, why are you not going somewhere else and, and, and just be done with this? Like, I'm trying to wrap my head around, like, the boldness of Jesus when people don't understand that the fighting nature for God's will, that he boldly proclaimed God's will in the temple, in the courts. He cried out, yes, you know me. Oh, that, guys, y'all don't hear that. Jesus is standing up there saying, y'all know me. Y'all know who my daddy is. He said, yes, you know me. You know where I'm from. I am not here on my own authority, but he who sent me is true. And then I, I cringed at this. To all of the decision makers in those times, all of the people who had power to really put some plans in action, Jesus said, you know me. You know where I'm from. Then he closes with, you do not know him. All of these people pretending to know him, you do not know him. You do not know my father. Nevertheless, he did it again. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said with a loud voice. I'm thinking he's even getting louder. With a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me. Drink. So I'm looking at the picture of Christ as he's working towards the cross, as he's fulfilling his ultimate purpose, I think of the healing. I think of the the sight to the blind and all these different things that was on his way to his ultimate purpose. I play video games on my on my <laughs> in my spare time. Like this is what Jesus does in his spare time. This is what Jesus did on the way to his ultimate purpose. And as we know, he is about. Um, we know in this situation that Jesus ultimately on his way to the cross. And I think leaving this sign for us, Jesus heals the blind man, the handicapped person of his time. And I think these signs are for us because I look at the next, the next few chapters, he healed the blind man. That's the people that need us in our time. He, he comforts the adulterous woman that they bring to him. And he said, why are your accusers? If no one condemns you, then I'm not going to condemn you. So these are people that are cast outside of the city. These are people that, that we turn our backs on, that are broken, that need our attention and time, that need a loving arm or someone to look at the blind, the adulterous woman, And Jesus states, sorry, uh, skipped ahead. And after that, he goes into the death of Lazarus, someone he loved, someone that he very much cared about. So the blind man, the adulterous woman, then Lazarus, 
allow Lazarus four days before he came. Lazarus was good and dead, they said. He had a stench. And when he, when he called to Lazarus, when he called for Lazarus, told the disciples he was going to, to see Lazarus, Jesus stated of his death, but his disciples thought they meant a natural sleep. They thought Lazarus was asleep. He was taking a long nap. But Jesus plainly said Lazarus dead. I guess he was tired. He was getting to the place where he was dealing with too much. He just finally said, hey man, Lazarus is dead. <laughs> I'm going to take care of some business over there. Lazarus is dead. And that's how I pictured that conversation going. Um, now, lastly, I'll read this story with all these events happening. And I read him dealing with his circle, his household. I see him dealing with Judas. And that's someone he knew his heart. He knew that he had lust and love for money. And John gives an account of that in verse 12. When Mary took the pint of nard and poured it on his feet. Verse 5, Jesus Iscariot said, Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was, a it was a year worth of wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money and the bag, he used to help himself to what he put in it. So looking at the blind, the adulterous woman, the thief that was in Jesus' inner circle, and now I'm saying, God, I'm getting a picture of your example. Guys, we don't have to ultimately get to the place to where we have the sin of humanity on our back. Jesus already did that. That's already done. But the example of who we should love as we accept our true calling from Christ, how we should be. We don't have to wear braces that say, what would Jesus do? I tell my youth, he already done done it. We know what he did. We just have to get in his word and read what he's done. It's already done. The example is already laid. In closing, here in Luke's gospel, he gives an account of Jesus on the Mount of Olives. Right before his final hour, he's about, to be, he's about to be arrested and betrayed, and he's about to go down the path of the cross. Luke says in 39, and he came out and went, as was a custom to him. So this is normal. This is something he normally does. To the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into the temptation. And when he withdrew from them about a stone's, a stone's throw, he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Remove this cup from me. Then he gets to a destination. Then he gets to a city. Then he gets to a place where he says, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Nevertheless, the place that you sent me to, here for. You ultimately sent me here to bear this cross, to hang on this cross, to, to be the ultimate sacrifice for sin. And nevertheless, not my will. My will is, maybe this is too heavy. Maybe this is too much. But not my will, but yours be done. And guys, we have to get to the place to where if friends don't go, nevertheless, we have to get to a place if people threaten to, to pull out of your business to not partner with you, and you're standing where God has called you to be, nevertheless, 
We have to get to a place where our body is speaking something to us. Our body is telling, you're sick, you're not well, you're never going to get a nevertheless, not my will. We have to get to the place of nevertheless. And I think in seeing Jesus' example, the load is lifted because we don't have to die for humanity. We don't have to sacrifice. We have to die to ourselves. We have to lay down our lives to pick up the life that Christ has for us. I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I. Yet not I. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live in the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the word of God. So we're not living and have the responsibility of doing this on our own. It's Christ in us. It's Christ through us. And guys, you have to go on. I wanted to to talk about everything that's going on. I wanted to share about my opinion about about all the things that we're dealing with in society right now. But I just wanted to share my heart, guys, that if we don't look at one another and see the humanity in one another and see the right to exist, because what we ultimately do is we look at somebody and we have these prejudices and these bias. What we're saying is, God, you made a mistake with that person. It's against God. That's what we're doing. We're saying that God, they their purpose would have been served better looking like me, being from where I'm from. We're saying that God made a mistake by his creation. And now we have the creation fighting the creation. And we're going into churches and we're praying that God do our bidding. Shame on us, church. We need to repent and fall on our face. I said, nevertheless, God, not my will, not my opinion about how this church should be, not my opinion about how this person should live their lives. But your will be done. They are fearfully and wonderfully made. They are called according to your purpose. Church, we have to come back to God. So Jesus taught us how to be bold for God's, how to be bold for God's will in a chaotic society. He stood up to to the powers that be. He stood up in situations where his very life was on the line. And there were situations he had to sneak out because they sought to capture him and to stone him and to kill him. So we, Jesus taught us how to care for the poor, how to care for those in our society who've been broken, who've been hurt, who've been judged, who've been condemned, who've been told you're not worthy enough to exist. Not to have a life and live a good life, but I'm questioning your right to exist. So he taught us how to be sympathetic how to not judge, least she be judged. And I say, instead of picking up our phone and texting vile and hurtful things to stand on our opinion and fight that way, instead of speaking down on God's creation, instead of literally grabbing weapons and fighting one another, We have to be born to the new idea of how to fight. So that's where they're clapping, guys. We have to awake to the idea of how to fight. Thanks for listening. 
Stay connected with us at SeedsChurchTN.com and on social media. Our mission at Seeds Church is to help people discover who God created them to be and equip them to do what He called them to do. One of the easiest ways you can help us accomplish our mission is by simply sharing this podcast. You can do so by subscribing, leaving a review on iTunes, or sharing it with your friends on Facebook. Thanks again for listening. We hope to see you soon.